Good morning again. Uh, we continue looking at Matthew's genealogy. And one of the fascinating things about Matthew's genealogy is that Jesus includes, or the gospel writers include in Jesus' lineage, all these strange people. Uh, compare Matthew's genealogy to Josephus' genealogy, for example. Uh, Josephus has the best in his family line highlighted. In fact, historians argue whether those people that Josephus includes really are his family members or if he padded uh, it, as it were, to have people in his family say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm related to all these great emperors, these great rulers. Whereas in Jesus' genealogy, he highlights all these folks that uh, have scandalous pasts. And he highlights, strange in ancient genealogies, his own mothers. So we've been looking at the mothers of Jesus, and we've been discovering in Jesus' genealogy that our Savior has the blood of sinners coursing through his veins. The blood of broken relationships, of dysfunctional relationships, the blood of division, even the blood of murder. And Matthew tells us, call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. He has the blood of sinners coursing through his veins. And so today we're going to look at the story of Ruth. Uh, so Ruth 1 through 17, and then Matthew 1 through 1, 6a, 1, 1 through 1, 6a. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he the elders in the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who had come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell, or um, so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I may come to you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you also require Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of the Redeemer for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in the former times of Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging and exchanging to confirm a transaction the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner which of attesting in Israel. When the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandals. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I ought to be my wife. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, the name of the dead may not be cut off among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate 
And the elder said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and renowned in Bethlehem. And may, you, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring of the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and became his wife. And she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to you, or born to Naomi. They named him Obed, his father of Jesse. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then Matthew 1, 1 through 6a, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez was the father of Hezron. And Hezron was the father of Ram, and Ram was the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab was the father of Naushan. Naushan was the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's thank our God. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we ask as we turn to look at this section of your word that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, wills to obey, that we might see Jesus high and lifted up. In his name we pray, amen. What is most precious to you? What is most precious to you? And do you share that which is most precious to you? Do you give it away? Sometimes we do. We share new music that we've grown to love, a new movie. Uh, we share restaurant recommendations. We share wisdom and beauty. Sometimes we're eager to share things with other people. Other times, we don't share very well. It's a lot harder to share our money, to share our time, to share our resources, our relationships. It's hard to give away that which is precious to us. In fact, it's impossible apart from grace. Even by grace, sharing what is precious to us is really, really difficult. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian a long time or if you're someone who's exploring the Christian story. Giving away what is precious to us is hard. It requires grace. Some of us have children, and if we were asked, what is most precious to you, we'd likely answer, it's our kids. We would hardly think of sharing our children with somebody else, of giving them away. Those who have participated in adoption know how hard it is to give and to receive children. Children they're beautiful. Children, they're full of life. They're full of hope, of joy, of love. We saw that today as they led us in singing. 
But children are also costly. Uh, they cost us our time. They cost us our money. They cost us our emotions. They cost us our hearts, our souls, our bodies, our strength. Some of us have experienced this once. Others of us are crazy enough to experience it several times. Giving away what is most precious to us requires grace. Sharing what we love takes great courage, great hope, great faith. Well, this morning we're going to look at a text of people who shared. People who shared what was most precious to them. And we really just want to look at two things from our text. First, we want to look at the risk-reward of faith. The risk-reward of faith. And then second, we want to look at the gift and generosity of faith. But let's first look at the risk and reward of faith. Children in the ancient world were the means by which your family name could continue. It was a way, as we read in our text, that you could perpetuate the name of the dead. You could continue, extend the name of your family. In our story, Elimelech is the patriarch, and he takes his family outside of Bethlehem, and they go to Moab, and he dies in Moab. His two children marry Moabite women, but they both die as well. And so the very beginning of our story, the patriarch and his sons are all dead. His wife, Naomi, is the only one who's alive, but she's as good as dead. Naomi is beyond childbearing yours, and there's no way that she's going to be able to perpetuate the name of her husband. There's no prospects for Naomi in any scenario to have children. Her most important job, ensuring that the family name would continue, will not happen. She has failed. When she dies, the family name will die with her. The name won't continue on. Nobody will remember Elimelech's name or their children's name. So she comes back to Israel, back to Bethlehem, utterly dejected, utterly defeated. In fact, she says, don't call me Naomi, which means joyful or pleasant. Rather, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because a deep bitterness has taken root in my heart and my life. There's nothing life-giving about me. There's nothing precious about me. My life is now only bitter only full of grief, only full of sadness. I'm as good as dead. Call me bitter. And Naomi, when she returns, she doesn't return empty-handed. In fact, she returns with her hands full. She returns with a noose around her neck named Ruth. In chapter 1, Naomi did the very best she could to unload Ruth and not come back to Bethlehem with Ruth. She said, go home. Go, go back to your dad. Go back to your home country. Go back to your family. Live there. Live a happy and full life there. But Ruth refused to leave. Ruth clung to her. Ruth, the Moabitess. Ruth, the woman that would have bad juju wherever she went in Israel. Oh, who's that? Oh, that's Ruth, the one who killed her husband. The one who's a Moabitess the one that we don't want around here. So Naomi comes back to Bethlehem with this noose around her neck, 
named Ruth. Moabites were hated enemies of Israel. As you read about their history, one of the things that the Moabites refused to do was give food and water to Israel when they asked for it. There's nothing good that comes from Moab. And now Naomi, in her old age, has to feed and care for and provide for a Moabitess. But as the story unfolds, something wonderful, something beautiful, something amazing happens. Maybe for Naomi, bitterness isn't the only option. Maybe for Naomi, death isn't the only option. Maybe for Naomi, the God that she worships, the God that she serves, the God that she's following is much bigger than her difficult circumstances. As the story unfolds, Ruth, by chance, the Bible actually says by chance, by circumstance, by happenstance, Ruth goes to a field belonging to Boaz. She has no idea that it's Boaz's field. She has no idea who Boaz is. And when Ruth comes back and says, yeah, I work today at a field belonging to Boaz, Naomi said, you know, that's a relative. He might care for us. He might provide for us. And in our story, Boaz proves to be kind and generous and overwhelmingly gracious to Ruth and Naomi. Boaz is probably the one man in all of Israel who's not scared off by a Moabitess. Boaz knows the story of strange women well. His mother was Rahab, the person we looked at last night. Boaz knows the story of immigration well. Uh, he himself was an immigrant, adjusting to belonging to this new family, to this new nation. And he knows that this story can play out in amazing and life-giving ways. So in our story, Ruth attaches herself to Boaz, and Boaz is ready and willing and able to attach herself to Ruth. But he knows the laws and he knows the customs, and so he must first check with a relative who's even closer to Naomi than he is. In our text, it says he's a friend, better translated, Mr. No Name. So he goes to Mr. No Name and he says, hey, uh, I want you to know that the field that Naomi owns, uh, that she's in debt to, that feels for sale, and you have the first right of refusal. And when Mr. No Name hears of the deal, he says, I'll take it. I'll take it. Naomi's probably going to die in a few years. The field probably could produce a good harvest, so he's thinking of this in economic terms. Uh, this is a good risk-reward situation. I will buy it. And then Boaz inserts, well, Mr. No Name, on the day that you buy this field, you receive and buy everything that belongs to Naomi, including Ruth, the Moabitess. And Mr. No Name says, I, I can't do that. I've got to back out of this deal. Because Mr. No Name knows that the custom is to perpetuate the name of the dead, to continue the name of Elimelech. And Ruth is of childbearing age, apparently. And it's too great of risk if he and Ruth were to have a child together, because what that would mean is that this child would become the inheritor of everything that belonged to Naomi. And he would spend all his years caring for Ruth and caring for their children, and he would have to give the inheritance to this child. And so he says, it's too costly for me to do it. I can't do it. I can't impair my own inheritance. I'm not going to take the deal. Boaz, on the other hand, 
can see beyond the economic terms, Boaz, by faith, takes the risk. He's willing to invest in the field. He's willing to take everything that comes with the field. He's willing to take Naomi and all that belongs to her, even and especially Ruth, because he sees a greater reward than an economic one. He sees a reward of what might come in relationship with Ruth. He sees a reward of life with Ruth. And so he's willing to take the risk when Mr. No Name says it's too costly. And then in a very public way, as we read, he commits himself to Ruth, having the strange custom of taking off his sandal and exchanging or giving his sandal uh, to uh, the people saying, we have bought this field. I think what that means is just that wherever his feet go now in this field belong to him. He's purchased it. He's bought it. Wherever he walks in this land, it belongs to him. And so as they go about this custom, this transaction, in this very public way, the women in the community, they praise Boaz's risk. They say, we hope that this risk will reap a great reward, a reward greater than Rachel or Leah or Tamar has brought to our people. And friends, by grace, the risk paid off. They became life-giving and generative in their relationship. They weren't barren. They bore a son together. They received a great reward. And in receiving this great reward and receiving this gift and receiving this grace, this overwhelming abundance from God, they now had a choice to make. What were they going to do with their reward? Would they cling to it? Would they give it away? What would you do? What would I do? I know what I'd do. I wouldn't do what they did. They gave their reward away. They gave their son Obed to Naomi. They formally said, Naomi, this baby doesn't belong to us. This baby belongs to you. And we give this baby to you for you to become the mother. They make Naomi, in her old age, a mother again. They make Obed, this little infant, Naomi's redeemer, the one who will undo her pain and her shame. Obed will be the way in which the family's name will continue. Look at what they say beginning in verse 14, these women to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you, Naomi, this day without a redeemer. And may his name, that is Obed's name, be renowned in Israel. Obed shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now listen, Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. A son has been born to Naomi. 
friends, do you see what's happened here? Do you see and understand what has taken place? Ruth and Boaz give Naomi their son. Obed becomes Naomi's redeemer. Obed becomes the one to continue the family's name. Naomi, in her old age, becomes a mother again. Naomi nurses again. Naomi has a son again. A son has been born to Naomi. They give away that which is most precious to them. And this gift that Boaz and Ruth give to Naomi, it keeps on giving. It gets repackaged and re-gifted in countless ways. It's a gift that leads to greater and greater life. The book of Ruth opens with a genealogy, but it's a genealogy that leads to death. It's a description of the death of Naomi's husband, the death of Naomi's sons, and even the death of Naomi. Because it says that there's no way that Naomi's ever going to have a son again. And then the book of Ruth closes with a genealogy. But it's a genealogy that leads to life. It's a description of the life that flows from this gift. It's a description of people who haven't yet been born when our story occurs. Of people who will come from Ruth and Boaz because they were willing to share that which was most precious to them. Because they were willing to take this type of risk. This gift eventually gives birth to leaders for God's people, culminating in the life of King David. And God makes promises to David. David, the paradigmatic king of Israel. David, the king who is just and wise and good and strong. David became the hope for Israel. And God tells David that one day you're going to have a son as well. And you're going to have a son who's going to sit on your throne forever and ever and ever. So that one day the generations born through this couple giving up this gift to Naomi might become the redeemer of my people. One day in the fullness of time, God took a risk. One day in the fullness of time, God shared that which was most precious to him, his very son. And in the gift of Jesus, God provided the ultimate son of David, the one greater than David. Jesus became the one who would free and redeem his people, people like Naomi, people like you and me. Jesus became the ultimate life-giving son, the one who would save his people from their sins. And Jesus was a culmination of face risk and reward, of face gift and generosity. Little did Boaz know in buying that field, little did Boaz know in marrying Ruth that God was going to create and produce such an amazing harvest through him. Little did Boaz's friend, Mr. No Name, know that in passing up on that field, that it would be so costly to him. So costly that we wouldn't even know his name. Little did Boaz and Ruth know that in giving Obed to Naomi, that God would do such an amazing work of salvation and of redemption for his people. And little did they know that their risk would eventually lead to the reward of God giving to his world, his very son. Jesus embodied 
the faith of Boaz and Ruth. Jesus took on a much greater risk that led to a much greater reward. Jesus willingly went to the cross, submitted to the risk of humiliation of the cross, knowing that there was a much greater reward because Hebrews tells us that he endured the shame of the cross for the joy and the reward of his people. And his death is still producing such a great harvest in his world. Friends, you and I are the recipients of this great gift, of his great love. Jesus willingly gave himself to us. And in his dying and rising and ascending to the Father's right hand, he gives us a gift of his spirit. And the work of his spirit continues throughout history and throughout all ages, throughout every part of his world, throughout places like Austin, to bring his life and his love to the world. His spirit is reshaping our lives, renewing our lives, redeeming our lives, so that we might become the type of people who, like Boaz and Ruth, take holy risks, like Boaz and Ruth share that which is most precious to us. By faith, Boaz and Ruth planted these seeds that they knew that God would water, that God would nourish, and that God would cause to grow. They didn't know exactly how. They didn't know in what way. In fact, they weren't alive to see how these seeds would flourish. But the seeds of their faith continue even today to bear good fruit in God's world. And friends, you and I, like Boaz and Ruth, we can plant seeds of faith in our world as well in our households, at our schools, at our universities, at our places of work. We can plant these seeds of faith not knowing how God's going to water them, not knowing how God's going to nourish them, but trusting that we worship and we serve a God who is big enough to take our small, meager seeds of faith and do something amazing with them. So as we close, I want us to think about a few applications for us to be creative in life-giving, in our faith, and in our giving. Number one, dream. Dream. God's people are always dreamers. To be a Christian is to enter into a story and enter into a tradition and enter into a history of dreamers. The women in our story helped Ruth and Boaz dream. They say, may you become like Rachel and Leah and Tamar, May you be better than seven sons to Naomi. They had big dreams for them. They helped them realize that their faith and their kindness and their loyalty to Naomi, that God would use it in far bigger ways than they could ask or imagine. And so they gave Obed away, not knowing how God would use their gift, but knowing that God is the one who takes our dreams and multiplies them. So dream. Dream about the work that God might do in your life. Dream about the work that God might do in our church, about the work that God might do in our city. Don't see your life, see your circumstances, see your world merely in terms of where they currently are. Dream about what God might do as you live out your faith, as you seek to give yourself away in faithfulness to him. Friends, it isn't the amount of faith that you have, and it isn't the amount of gifts that you're able to give. That's not the issue. God can even take the smallest amount of faith. God can even take the smallest gift and do amazing things through it. 
to dream. Dream about how God might use your faith and your gifts as you give them to him. Second, receive. Receive what God has entrusted to you. Sometimes we receive good and beautiful and easy things to enjoy from God. It's easy to call the things that we have in life gifts. We receive the gift of love, the gift of children, the gift of friendship. But sometimes we must receive more difficult and more challenging things. And these are harder things to receive as gifts. Sometimes the love that we thought would never diminish now is gone. The children that we thought would never hurt us, they do. And the friend that we thought would always be there is not there anymore. Last week I went to a funeral of a dad who's my age. And uh, his son is good friends with our son, Caleb. He had been struggling with cancer for years. The family chose, when they first heard the news that he had cancer, they chose to receive this as a gift by faith. It was a difficult gift to receive. It was a difficult gift to endure. But they stewarded their pain so well. And he spent the last few years of his life planting seeds all over the city of Austin, planting seeds through all of his friendships, all of his relationships because he endured this pain so well by faith. He's not here anymore to know how those seeds will bloom and blossom and flourish. He's not going to see the fruit of the seeds that he spread and planted so well. But he belonged to a God who causes these types of seeds to grow. And he knew that. And that's how he died in faith, and that's how he died, giving himself away so beautifully. In our story, Naomi received lots and lots of good and beautiful things. She also received lots of difficult things. At the end of her life, she received a gift that she could have never imagined, never hoped for, never dreamed up or orchestrated or controlled. She received grace. And the same is true for us. Receive God's gifts by faith. Sometimes it's easier to do that. Other times it's much harder to do that. But receive. Receive what God has entrusted to you by faith. And then third, give. Give away what's most precious to you. Give generously. Give sacrificially. Give by faith. Ruth and Boaz didn't know in giving up their son Obed to Naomi, how God was going to use this gift, repackage it, and give back to the world through it. But God did use their gift in amazing ways. He used it far beyond what they could have thought of or dreamed when they first laid Obed in Naomi's lap. Friends, as those who belong to Jesus by faith, give yourself away. Give yourself away in creative life-giving ways. Give away your time to bless and serve others. Our church is committed to partnering with ministries in this city. There's lots of opportunities for us to give ourselves away to serve and bless our city. Our church is also committed to giving away the gifts that we receive to repackage them and re-gift them back to our city and back to our world and back to those in our congregation. 
one of the things I love about Grace and Peace is that we're generous with the gifts that come in. And we do our best to receive these gifts and to give them back by faith, dreaming about what God might do to use these gifts. We're blessed to have so many great ministry partners and to see how God uses our gifts for the growing of his kingdom. And now at the end of the year, we have an opportunity to give by faith, knowing that God will take our gifts and use them in powerful ways as we seek to serve and love him well in this place. Friends, we belong to a God who takes our risks, who receives our gifts, and repackages them and re-gifts them back to his world in amazing ways. So by faith, risk knowing that the reward is far greater than you could ask or imagine. By faith, give, knowing that you can't outgive a God who is so generous. By faith, receive all that God is and all that God has entrusted to you this day. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word and the surprising twists and turns of your word. Who would have thought that Naomi in her old age would become a mother again. But that's what you do. You make us who are old children once again. And so we ask in this Advent season that you would make us children again, that we would long for you, that we would look to you, that you would fill us with your life and joy. And in doing so, that you would use our faith as small and as meager as it may be that you'd help us to take risks for you, that you'd help us to give back to you, knowing that you are a God who is above all of our circumstances. So we pray that you'd be at work in our lives this day. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.